Well, good morning, and uh, glad you came. Appreciate you being here today. And um, did any part of the worship up your joy quotient a little bit? Just a little bit. I, I want to I wanna share with you, and this is not to fuss at anybody. I, I'm really not fussing. If anybody may be fussing at myself, and, and, but, but how many of you have heard of a conservative uh, commentator on the radio named Dennis Prager? Anybody ever heard of Dennis Prager? All right, well, a few of you have. Most of you have not. Let me tell you about Dennis Prager. He's a brilliant man who, along with English, he speaks three different languages very, very fluently. He's Jewish, but he has a great sympathy toward Christianity and what Christianity has meant to America and the Judeo-Christian values that, that we believe our, our country was founded on. And he's very concerned about where the culture is headed in America, which I think probably most of us are. But he tells the following story. Now, before I tell you the story he tells, keep in mind that what he calls happiness is what we really mean by joy. Now, this is the story that he tells. This is a quote. I once asked a deeply religious man if he considered himself a truly pious person. He responded that while he aspired to be one, he felt that he fell short in two areas. One was his not being happy enough. Read joy. He said, unhappy Christians reflect poorly on their religion and on their creator. He was right. Unhappy religious people do pose a real challenge to faith. Now listen to what Prager, this, this man's Jewish, now listen. If their faith is so impressive, why aren't they happy? Now there are only two possible reasons. Either they are not practicing their faith correctly or they are practicing their faith correctly and the religion itself is not conducive to happiness. Most outsiders assume the later reason. In other words, what he's saying is most outsiders look at the average quote-unquote Christian and see so little joy in their life that they just assume, well, maybe what you've got really isn't worth having. He continues, Unhappy religious people should therefore think about how important being happy is, if not for themselves, then for the sake of their religion. Unhappy religious people provide more persuasive arguments for atheism and secularism than do all the arguments of atheists. Now, I want to confess to you, you know, when you've been in the ministry, you know, as long as I have, and uh, this past December, I just celebrated my uh, 34th year as a pastor. And, and when you've <clears throat> been in the ministry as long as, as I have, you get to kind of reflect back, and now you've got the, the experience, uh, the, the benefit of experience behind you, and you've got the ability to kind of look, you know, kind of look around and, and, and look back and, and, and say, well, what, what have I really experienced as a pastor? And, and let me just be honest. One of the biggest mysteries to me that I've had to deal with as a pastor through all these years is what I call joyless Christianity. Now, let me, let me give, you the, uh, give you an example of what I'm talking about. I want you to think about the people that you know, and I want you to think about the people that you hang around with that you would consider Christians, that you would consider followers of Jesus Christ, those that you hang around with the most. Now, here's my question I'd like to ask you. Would you honestly say that you regularly see a lot of joy in their life? Or let me turn it around. The people that you work with, the people that uh, you uh, live with in your neighborhood, the people that you hang out with, the people that uh, you, you play golf with, the people that you know, 
particularly those who are not Christ followers, would you say they would look at you and they would say they see a lot of joy in your life? One of my favorite preachers is Tim Keller. Tim Keller said, and I'm quoting, he said, joy is the essence of Christianity. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors said, I love the way he puts it, joy is the serious business of heaven. I like that. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Now, the question I want to ask you is truly, how many joyful Christians, joyful Christ followers do you really know? We're in a series, if you're here this morning new, we, we started last week called Tasty. And we're studying what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And the Bible very simply says that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things that's true about you is is that the Spirit of God lives in you. And if the Spirit of God lives in you and you're walking in the Spirit, we're told in Galatians 5 that you will bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And and so we decided we'd do a series built around that uh, text and, and, and we really have come to the conclusion that if you and I were to, on a daily basis, really live a life of every type of those fruits, if the branches of the tree of our life were bearing that fruit on a daily basis, we'd be good to others. We'd taste good to others. People would want to be around us. They'd be drawn to us, and we would be good for others. Now, God, un- unlike the caricature you, you'll see on television and in movies and even a lot of what you grew up with, God is a God of joy. And God wants you and me to be full of joy. As a matter of fact, let me tell you something. You know, I bet you've never noticed this before. Why do you think Jesus taught everything he taught for three years? Why, why do you think we have the four Gospels? Now, you may say, well, to let us know who Jesus was and, you know, what he did and, and, and you know, how he would die for us and so on and so forth. Well, that's all information. But what I'm asking you is, why did Jesus specifically tell us everything that he tells us in the Gospels? You don't have to wonder. He tells us why. In John 15, and you want to turn this morning to John 15, John 16. That's where we're going to be. In John 15, verse 11, listen to what Jesus said. He says, I have told you this. What's this? He's talking about everything he said to the disciples up to this point, everything. He says, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Every time you read the Gospels, remember this. Every time you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, every time you read what Jesus said, if you've got one of those red-letter editions of the Bible, you know, everything in red is what Jesus said. Well, every time you read a red word, you remember this. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this because I want my joy to be in you and I want your joy to be complete. Now, let me just stop right here and let's just get real. I understand the difficulty some of you are having right now. Matter of fact, some of you are, are, are really getting a little irritated. You are. You're you're sitting there and you're saying, Buster, let me tell you something. If you just knew who I was married to, if you just knew the boss I have to go face in the morning, if you just knew the hassles I've got to put up with in my job, if you just knew the knuckleheads I've got for kids, you wouldn't be sitting up there telling me to be full of joy. And, and I understand the difficulty some of you are having right now because life's not really going real well for you right now. Hey, dude, I don't have a job, and I can't find a job, and you're telling me to have joy? I, I just got a call from the doctor. My blood work looks horrible. Something's going on. You're telling me to have joy? I, I'm not in a marriage. I'm in a war. And you're telling me to have joy? Joy? 
And you're sitting there resenting the fact that I'm calling you to be joyful. And so let, let me just make something very plain. There's one thing we all have in common in this room. One thing. Nobody's immune to bad days. Nobody's immune to bad news. We, we all have bad days. Some of you are sitting saying bad days. How about a bad year? Bad weeks, bad months. I, I get it. I understand. I mean, you know it's going to be a bad day. When you call your answering service and they tell you it's none of your business, you, you know it's going to be a bad day. You know it's going to be a bad day when you put your pants on backwards and they fit better. You know it's just going to be a bad, bad day. You know it's going to be a bad day when you see your best friend on America's Most Wanted. You say, man, it's, it's going to be a bad day today. You know it's going to be a bad day when your two-year-old decides to finger paint your wall with peanut butter. You know it's just going to be a bad day. It's going to be a bad day when you go to the bank to make a withdrawal and all the employees line up start laughing at you. I mean, it's just going to be a bad day. You, you know that. Hey, when you walk into your office and discover that your dress is tucked into your pantyhose, you know it's going to be a bad, bad day. When your five-year-old rushes into your bedroom and says, did you know it's almost impossible to flush a grapefruit down a toilet? You know it's going to be a bad day. And you know when you discover you're out of toilet paper, too late. It's going to be a bad day. Now, the question is not, are you going to have a bad day? You are. The question is not, are you going to get bad news? You are. That's not the question. The question is, when you have the bad day, when you get the bad news, when the bad thing happens, when you get what you don't deserve, how are you going to respond? And just as importantly, how are other people going to watch how you respond? Now, the Lord's half-brother James said something in James chapter 1 verse 2. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, it takes a lot of guts to say that because what you'd expect him to say is consider it bad luck when you face joys of all kinds. He didn't say that. This is really weird. He says when you get the bad news, you get the bad phone call, you, the bad event happens. When something bad happens, he says consider it pure joy. You say that's impossible. Oh, no, I'm going to show you how it's very possible because remember now, this is important. I'm not talking about happiness. You will never find one time where God ever commands you to be happy. Now, there's a reason for that. You can't command somebody to be happy. I mean, if you walked in here this morning, let's say you walked in here and you say, I'm just not a real happy camper right now. What good would it do if I said to you, well, be happy? You know, you know the old saying, don't worry, be happy. I mean, whoever said that is a whack job. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't just tell somebody... Be happy. You know, you go, how would you feel if you went to the doctor and you go to the doctor and you got 103 to get three degree temperature and you're coughing and you're hacking and wheezing and you're blowing stuff out of your nose and you just feel absolutely terrible. And what, how, would you, how would you respond to a doctor if he just said, well, feel better? Well, you, you can't command that. I'm not talking about happiness. They're not the same thing. Being full of joy and being happy are totally different things. They're big differences. So what's the difference? Real simple. Happiness is external. Joy is internal. Happiness is based on chance. Joy is based on choice. Happiness depends upon circumstances. 
Joy depends upon Christ. So I'm going to raise a question this morning that I want to answer because I need to hear the answer myself, and that is, how do you become joyful, even in the midst of bad times? And not only that, how do you stay joyful 24-7? How can you get up every morning of your life for the rest of your life and have a joy in your heart that's on the inside, even when everything is falling apart? On the outside, well, here's what I want, you, I want you to take out the door with you this morning. This is what I want you to learn today. Once I choose Christ, I can always choose joy. Once I choose Christ, I can always choose joy. I want you to write that down. The moment you chose Jesus Christ, if you're you're a Christ follower today and you have chosen Christ to take over your life, once you did that, whether you realize it or not, for the rest of your life, you can choose joy. Now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us how we can be joyful and tells us what joy will look like when we are. So, if you'd like to make up your mind today, if you're one of those people and you say, you know what, I'd rather be joyful than be miserable. I I, I would rather go through life with a smile on my heart than a frown on my face. Jesus tells us, take three simple steps, and and they really do work. I'm telling you, I've learned them all life. They really work, and you can can do all three of these things today. Number one, Jesus tells us to decide to be joyful. Joyful is, being joyful is a decision. You decide to be joyful. Now, let me tell you what Jesus said. We're going to look in John 16, verse 16. Jesus was about to go to the cross. This is the background of what he was telling his disciples. And, 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 and even though his disciples didn't know it, he was about to go to the cross. So he's trying to get them ready for this event because he knew what was going to happen. He knew that the moment they nailed him to the cross and the moment he did not come down off of that cross and the moment he did not save himself and the moment he died just like everybody else dies, Jesus knew it would suck all the joy out of their life. He knew that was going to happen, so he's going to get them ready for it. Here's what he begins by saying, John 16, verse 16. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? You know, I always love it. Don't you know every time Jesus did that, they always always went, How did he know that? How did he know what I was saying? This guy's freaky. I mean, how did he know that? All right? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the Lord rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now, Jesus was obviously talking about two events who were about to, about to happen very soon. I'm talking about his death and his resurrection. He was talking about his coming crucifixion and death because he said, after a short period of time, uh, you're, you're not going to see me anymore. And he said, for the first time in three years, you're going to experience something you've never experienced in three years. You're not going to have me anymore. I, you're going to be completely without me. And the unthinkable was about to happen. He was going to, the die, to die. Now, if you remember, every time he ever mentioned that, the disciples always say something like, and and I'm paraphrasing, oh, no, you're not going to die. We've told you. We believe you're the Son of God. We believe you're the Messiah. And and, and, and Messiahs don't die. God's Son 
doesn't die. They, they could not believe it. But what we're about to learn and what they were about to learn was nobody, not even the Son of God, is immune to sorrow and suffering. Bad things happen to good people. Terrible things happen to God's people. And then Jesus tells us this. He says, but here's the good news. Joy overcomes sorrow. Look in verse 20, John 16. Very truly I will tell you, you will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now, that's an amazing statement. Amazing. Jesus said, there are going to be times when you're weeping while the rest of the world is rejoicing. There are going to be times when you are bawling your eyes out where everybody around you is laughing their heart out. But he said, but look, even while you're grieving, your grief can turn to joy. In other words, here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, you can make a decision to be joyful even in the midst of very deep sorrow. Even in the most difficult, trying time of your life, you can decide in God and you can decide through God, I am going to be joyful. Now, you say, well, pastor, how on earth can you do that? I I just don't believe that's possible. I just think that's absolutely a human impossibility. And then Jesus gives a great example of how it happens every day. Look in verse 21. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. I've been privileged to be in the delivery room for the birth of all three of, uh, of my sons. Now, I have to tell you, for my wife, it was a very painful experience. It didn't hurt me. I, I, I never felt a bit of pain when I was in I, I really didn't. I hurt for her, but I mean, it didn't, didn't hurt me. But I watched her go through that excruciating pain of, child, of childbirth. And even though I did not hurt like her, I did hurt with her and I did hurt for her. And, 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 and you know, she did not have the, the easiest of deliveries any of those times. Some of you ladies may have gotten off easy. She didn't really get off all that easy. But let me tell you something that happened all three times. And the same thing happened every single time. Whenever the doctor brought one of our sons out of the womb of, 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 of Teresa, all three times, Times. It happened every time. It was amazing. She instantly forgot the pain she'd gone through. She instantly forgot the suffering she'd gone through. And the, 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 she wept with tears of joy over the birth of another son. And what Jesus was saying was, he was saying, look, the birth of a child does not obliterate the pain, but it overcomes the pain. And pain and suffering and heartache can coexist with joy, but here's the key you got to focus on the baby and not on the pain. That's the key. You focus on the baby, not on the pain. Now, there's only one way you can maintain joy when you've got those tough, hard, gut-riching times that come into your life, and that's when you've got to make up, and this is what you've got to do. You've got to make up your mind. I am not going to focus on this trouble. I am not going to focus on this difficulty. I am not going to focus on this trial. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to focus on the God who is over this trial. And I'm going to focus on the God who is over this difficulty. And I'm going to focus on the God who is over this problem. I'm going to focus on him. Because let me tell you something. You know this. There are all kinds of joy stealers out there. And if you ever want to be joyful like God wants you to be joyful, you've got to learn how to deal with all these joy stealers. Let me tell you just three of them. And and they're out there. One joy stealer is what I call undeserved guilt. Um, 
There's that sneaky thief, and it happens to all of us. He, he, at, at, at the most inopportune time, at the most, at the most nondescript time, the, he, he, this thief will slide into your thoughts and slide into your minds, and he'll remind you of something you did years ago. He'll remind you of something you, you did as a kid or something you did as a teenager or something you did when you were in college, something you did from the past. And, and, and all of a sudden, before you know it, all the joy that you had is gone, and all you've got is guilt. That's one thing that'll steal your joy. I'll tell you something else. Uncertain circumstances. You, 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 you fear of the circumstance that you're in right now, and you, you walk the floor wondering, how's this going to turn out? I mean, how, how, how am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to get through this? How is this really going to work out for me? And then another joy stealer is what I call an undetermined future. You're, you're, you're anxious over what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen the next day. How's the blood test? Is the doctor going to call with good news or bad news? And there's only one way when, you, when those joy stealers come into your life and they come into mine just like they come into yours, there's only one way you can get your joy back. Listen, this, I'm, going to, I'm going to say this twice because it's so, so powerful. When you understand that your past has been forgiven by a merciful God, when you understand that your present is being controlled by a sovereign God, and when you understand that your future has been guaranteed by a loving God, you can be joyful. So, so you say, well, I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what's stealing my joy, Pastor. I'll just tell you. I, I, just, I just got this guilt, this continued guilt over this thing that I did in the past. You've been forgiven by a merciful God. Well, I'll tell you what's stealing my joy, Pastor. I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm dealing with something. I'm dealing with it today. And, 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 and I just don't know how it's going to work out. Well, your present is being controlled by a sovereign God. And you're saying, well, I've got this thing. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Am I going to get the pink slip? Am I going to lose my job? Is the blood work going to come back bad? Is there going to be a spot on the x-ray? That's okay. Your future has been guaranteed by a loving God. There is a tremendous verse in the, in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 that talks about Jesus and how he endured the greatest pain and the greatest suffering and the greatest heartache of any human being when he was crucified on the cross. I want you to listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 12 verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, now watch this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now watch this, it's amazing. When Jesus looked at the cross, oh yeah, he saw the separation and he saw the shed blood, he saw the sorrow. He saw the suffering. He saw the pain. He saw the anguish. I'm not sugarcoating any of this at all. Yeah, he saw that. But that's what he saw secondarily. When Jesus looked at the cross, what he saw primarily was joy. You say, what joy? The joy of knowing he was in the center of his Father's will. The joy of knowing that he would overcome his death with the resurrection. The joy of knowing that his father would be glorified. The joy of knowing that we could be redeemed. The joy of knowing that sin could be paid for. It was for the joy that was set before him. And what I'm telling you is, even in the shadow of the cross, Jesus said, I was full of joy. You know, I, 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 I was saying about this the other day. I walked through the house. I, I don't know about, you've probably noticed, you know, this week's been a real cold week. And, and what happens, at least it happened in my house, you know, we try to keep our thermostat relatively, you know, low and, and, and try to conserve energy as much as we can. Well, you know, we, we, we really have not taken into account the, you know, being so much colder because, as you know, last week was a you know, very unusual week. So <clears throat> I get up very early every morning and 
I got up, I think it was Monday morning after all this is it was, I mean, it was just like 10 degrees outside or whatever. And I got up and, and, and uh, I usually get up about 5.30 or 6 every morning. I think about 5.30. And I got up and I'm, I go in, I'm, I like hot chocolate. So I fix a cup of hot chocolate. And I noticed walking through the house, I said, man, it's cold. And, 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 and you know, I went into the keeping room, got my Bible, was going to have my quiet time. And I sat down and, and I said, man, it's, why is it so cold in this house? I couldn't figure it out. And, and I thought what had happened was I thought our heat had gone off. Well, then, but, but then it just hit me. I realized that we had our thermostat set much lower because, you know, what the temperature normally is. So I just simply went over the thermostat, you know, kicked it up one degree. Well, you know what happened. I mean, as soon as I kicked it up one degree, furnace kicked on. Now, if your house is like mine, it's heated by a furnace. You set your temperature on a certain number, and when the air in your home reaches that number, when it, you know, it comes down, then the heat comes on. Now, here's the, key, here's the thing that hit me the other day. What is it that kicks on the furnace? Cold air. Furnace not going to come on unless the cold air hits the furnace. Now, listen carefully. Sorrow is just like cold air, and it will kick on the furnace of joy in your heart if you decide to focus on God and not on the sorrow. That's what God intends trouble to be. It's that cold air. And see, people will see joy in your life by far. Let me tell you when people will see joy in your life. When you display a confidence in God's power and God's presence and God's providence, even in the midst of great suffering. I mean, once you take that first step, that very first step, you can start having joy. You can, you've got to say to yourself, right now, I'm making a decision. I want to have joy in my life. Now, that leads to the second step. You've got a desire to be joyful. You've got a desire to be joyful. I mean, in, in one sense, as you probably know, everybody in this room has a God-given innate desire for joy you were all born with. I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you. When you go out to a restaurant to order food, uh, let, let, me, let me give you an example. How many of you don't like collards or turnip greens? You don't like collards or turnip okay, greens? All right. If you don't raise your hand, you're a sick human being, okay? All right. I, I don't like collards and I don't like turnip greens, all right? Now, those of you who raise your hands, you go to a nice restaurant. Let me tell you what you're not going to order. You're not going to order collards. You're not going to order turnip greens. You say, well, no, I'm not. What are you going to order? You say, well, I'm going to order food I in what? Enjoy. We eat certain foods and we drink certain beverages because we enjoy them. We buy things and we build things that we think will bring us joy. Let me ask you that a question. Where does the desire for joy come from? It comes from God. We were all born with this innate desire to be full of of joy. So let me just give you a little clue here. If you're out there this morning and you're saying, and honestly, well, I'm not the joyful person I ought to be, you ought to ask God to be joyful because I want you to hear this. Joy is a choice. You can choose to be joyful. Because, and, and this is big. Joy is not something you can manufacture on your own. I'm not trying to imply that at all. It, it, it's a gift that you can receive from God every day. Now, you may think I'm crazy. You're sitting there saying, well, I can't choose joy. All right, look in John chapter 15, verse 11. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus said, joy is a gift. And he says, I want to give you my joy so that your joy may be complete. Did you know that every morning when you get, I mean, before you have to get out of bed, every morning you can literally pray this prayer. You can literally say, Lord, today, would you give me your joy 
And Lord, today, would you make my joy complete? You know, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, he said, you know, the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is. Give us this day our daily bread. Listen, you can ask God for joy just like you ask God for daily bread. Every morning you say, Lord, I need your joy. Some of you may, be, may have heard of a lady I have great admiration for. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. For those of you who don't know who Johnny Erickson Tata is, let me, let me just tell you, she's a quadriplegic. When Johnny was 17 years old, she dove into a shallow lake, not knowing how shallow it was. Her head hit the, hit the, uh, the, the bottom of the, of the um, uh, lake there, and she instantaneously broke her neck and was paralyzed from the neck down. Now, that's been 40-something years ago. She was speaking at a conference not long ago, and she was in the women's restroom and during a break, and one woman was putting on her lipstick. And she said, Johnny, she said, you always look so together and so happy in your wheelchair. She said, I wish I had your joy. Johnny never said anything. And then she said, how do you do it? I mean, you're paralyzed from the shoulders down. You haven't had any feeling from the neck down since you were 17 years old. How do you manufacture? How do you have this joy? And Johnny said, I don't do it. She said, may I just tell you honestly how I woke up this morning? She said, this is an average day for me. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 o'clock, I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 o'clock. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While she makes coffee, I pray, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, set me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day, but you do. So, dear God, may I have your smile today. I need yours desperately. One lady incredulously asked, so what happens when your friend comes into the bedroom? Johnny said, I turn my head toward her. I give her a smile that's sent straight from heaven. It's not mine. It's God. She then pointed to her paralyzed legs, and she said, ma'am, whatever joy you see today was hard won, hard won this morning, and I only got it for one reason, because I asked God for it, and he gave it to me. Now, my dear friend, if a paralyzed paraplegic can have that kind of joy every day, what's your excuse? So can you. Every day, God says, I've got joy, all the joy you want, and even more unspeakable and full of glory. All you've got to do is ask for it. Now, let's just get down to where the rubber hits the road, okay? To, to some of you sour puss crab apples out there. And you know who you are. If you don't want to be joyful, you won't be. If you don't want to be joyful, you won't be. If you don't choose to be joyful, you cannot be joyful. And if you cannot be joyful, you will not be joyful. On the other hand, if you want to be joyful, you will be. And if you do choose to be joyful, you can be joyful. And if you can be, you will be, but you've got to choose to be. See, the bottom line for every follower of Jesus Christ is this. Once I choose Christ, I can always choose to be joyful. Let's say that together. Once I choose Christ, I can always choose to be joyful. Listen. If Jesus Christ could choose to be joyful going to the cross, how much more can you and I choose to be joyful just going to work? Yeah, you got to fight the traffic. Yes, the closest most of us will get to hell is driving downtown to Atlanta tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. I get that. But you can choose to be joyful. 
That's exactly what the apostle Paul meant in that verse. He said, rejoice in the Lord. What's that word? Always. I will say it again, rejoice. No, let me get this straight. Let's understand now where we're coming from. You can't always rejoice in your circumstances. I'm not sitting here telling you to, to, to do this. I lost my job, hot diggity dog. That's, I mean, no, I'm not asking. That's not what I'm talking about. You can't always rejoice in your circumstances. You can't always rejoice in the economy. You can't always rejoice in your 401K. You cannot always rejoice in your bank account. You can't always rejoice in your blood work. I get that. But you can always rejoice in the God that loves you, made you, created you, saved you, has a plan for you, and will take care of you. Always. So you've got to decide to be joyful. You've got a desire to be joyful. And then here's the last thing. You've got to determine to be joyful. Now, I want you to understand when I use that word determine on purpose, you don't determine with your feelings. You determine with your will. Let me, let me say this again. Happiness is a feeling. And, and I don't ever read in the Bible, and I defy you to find me anywhere in the Bible where the Bible says God gives a flying rip about your happiness. I, got, I hate to burst your bubble. He doesn't give a gnat's rump about your happiness. You know what God cares about? Your holiness. He doesn't really care about your happiness. I mean, you walk around and you, you pout with God. Well, I'll tell you something right now, God, I'm not happy. You know what God says to you? I don't care. I don't care. Are you joyful? Are you resting in me? Joy is an act of the will. The Greek word for joy is found 74 times in the New Testament, and it always represents a delight in the heart that is based on spiritual realities. Now, let me ask you a question. It's a fair question. Why must, and I ask this question carefully, why must a Christ follower be joyful? Not why should why must a Christ follower be joyful? I don't mean must in the sense that you should do it. I mean must in the sense you can't help but do it. You say, okay, tell me why. Here's why. The, we, the reason why a follower of Jesus Christ must be joyful is because God is joyful. And if you are full of God, you will be joyful. You cannot be unjoyful and full of God at the same time. It's impossible. He is a God of joy. He is a God full of joy. He wants you to be full of joy. He wants his joy in you to be complete. When you're full of him, you will be full of joy. Now, I know most of us, many of us, never grew up with this idea of God being a very joyful God. As a matter of fact, and this is why some, a lot of people don't come to church. Because they got this idea, and we gave it to them, to, uh, I'm afraid, that, 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 you know, God's up there with a lightning bolt in his hand. And all God does 24-7 is look for somebody he can zap when they get out of line. I mean, that, that, that's what they think. Well, listen to how God is described in an ancient book, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. This is, this is one incredible verse. Listen to this. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves he will take great delight in you. Let me just stop right there. Right now, I know what's happening in my life. God is taking great delight in me. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I know what's happening to you right now. God is taking great delight in you. But now watch this. In his love, 
He will no longer rebuke you, but look what God does. Listen to this. He will rejoice over you with singing. I bet you never heard that God sings before. God sings. And what is it that moves God to singing? You and me. You and me. Moves God to singing. By the way, that word delight, you know what that word delight literally means in the Hebrew language? It literally means to jump up and down. Now, I started to do that up here, but I got white man's disease, so I'm not even going to try that. But I'm telling you, God jumps up and down. The Bible says God is so full of joy over us, over the fact we're in his family, we're in a relationship with him, We'll we'll never, ever fall out of fellowship with him in in, in a real lasting sense. He is so full of joy. The Bible says God himself jumps up and down and goes into a song. He's so full of joy over who we are in him. Listen, joy is not just something you get from God. It's something you catch from God. It's contagious. The more you're filled with, with God, the more you're filled with joy. As a matter of fact, listen, you cannot, this is important. You can be happy without God. There are a lot of people in this world are happy, deliriously happy. There are a lot of wealthy people in this world. They don't know God from butter beans, but they're happy. They don't think they need God, but they don't have joy. Because what makes you happy is when what happens to you is good. So you're happy. But if what happens to you is bad, get unhappy. That's not joy. Joy joy is never affected by circumstances. And that's why you can be happy apart from God. You cannot have joy apart from God. C.S. Lewis once said, listen to this. A car is made to run on gas and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because if he is not there, there is no such thing. And what C.S. Lewis simply said was this, without God, no joy, with God, all joy. And that's why Jesus goes on to say in the 16th chapter of John, verse 22, so with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again. Now look at the next two statements. You will rejoice. That's the first thing he says about joy. Second thing he says is, and no one will take away your joy. Now, Now listen to what Jesus said about joy. Here's what he said. Jesus never told a lie. Jesus said, you will rejoice. You know why you will rejoice? You can't help it. If you're full of God and God's full of joy, you can't help but rejoice. It's just in your nature. You can no more help from being full of joy than the sun can help from shining every day. You can't help it. But he also said something else. He said, and this joy will be permanent. He said, no one will take away your joy. Now, let me tell you what that means. This is going to be a real life changer for some of you in this room right now. If you make up your mind today, and I hope some of you will because, dear God, some of you need it. I'm making a decision today to be joyful. 
I'm going to have a desire today to be joyful. I'm going to determine today to be joyful. Let me tell you what that means. People who are determined to be joyful, pay no, they don't pay any attention to the weather, the day of the week, how old they are, the economy, interest rates, or deficits. They are determined to be joyful. Let me tell you something. Teresa and I were talking the other day uh, about um, my mom. Mom's 90 years old, 90 and a half. God willing, mom lives to be, you know, June, she'll be 91 years old. And um, I was telling her about, uh, about a book that I had read. And by the way, this has this not even been my notes, but this is just a quick aside. I want to tell you one of the best books I've read in 20 years. If you, you ought to go to the bookstore today and buy it. And I warn you, if you buy it, you won't be able to turn, put it down. It's unbelievable. It's called Unbroken. It's by Laura Hillebrand. And the book is about a man named Louis Zapparini who's still living. He's 93 or 94 years old. And I don't have time to go into the whole story. I'd love to have I wish I could have him come speak in our church. The guy's 94 years old. He was an Olympic runner, ran in 1936 Olympics, met Adolf Hitler, volunteers for the, for the World War II, gets, gets his plane crashes over the Pacific. He, he and two buddies of his, one, one died eventually, but he and two buddies of his set the record in World War II. They were adrift on a raft for 47 days. 47 days, drifted 2,000 miles to the Marshall Islands, thought they were safe, only to be picked up by a Japanese cruiser. Two and a half years, this man spent in a POW camp, and what he went through, I can't even, it's just, you just have to read the book. You have to read the book. And the greatest part of this book, by the way, the Wall Street Journal said, in, in their top 10 books of the year, Wall Street Journal says the number one book of 2010. I'm telling you, it's one of the best books I've read in 20 years. But Louis Zapparini Comes back from the war, broken man, broken by the POW experience. You just wouldn't believe. I mean, it's an unbelievable story. Becomes, gets into alcohol, you know, the whole nine yards, and, and, and his life's going down the toilet. Meets a girl. They date a couple of times, get married. Very rocky marriage. And then in 1947, a young evangelist who was just getting his start named Billy Graham came to L.A. She heard about it, went to hear Dr. Graham. She got saved the first night of the crusade. She started asking Mr. Zamparini to go, and finally he decided he would go. And, and so he went. Second night of the crusade, he was unbelievably, gloriously saved. I mean, unbelievably, gloriously saved. And, and, and when, you begin, when you read the last part of that book after his salvation, and, and then you begin to see the incredible joy and forgiveness and peace that came into his heart. You can go on YouTube and just YouTube, Louis Z-A-M-P-E-R-I-N-I, Louis Zapparini. There's four parts. You can, you can kind of do the, do, do the Cliff Notes versions of the story. It's absolutely incredible. But, but, but what, what I got out of this book was after all this man had gone through, this man today at 94 years of age, who was robbed of so much through his experience is so full of incredible joy. Just, he just, every day, he decides to be joyful. Every day, he desires to be joyful. Every day, he is determined to be full. Just, just determined. Now, let me just tell you something. There is one thing that can rob you of joy. And, and, and it really is the only thing that can, and let me just be honest with you, if you're right with God, it should rob you of your joy. Can anybody care to guess what that one thing is? Anybody want to guess? Sin. That is the only thing that can rob you of your joy. The only thing 
is sin. The only thing that can absolutely, completely suck the joy out of your life, not sorrow, not sickness, not sadness, it's sin. So you go back to John 15, and let's put two other verses together. We'll wrap up John 15, 10 through 11. He said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What Jesus does is brilliant. He ties our joy to our obedience. And what Jesus says is, let me tell you how this works. You obey me. You follow me. You keep it, you dot the I's, you cross the T. Not that Christianity is a bunch of rules, it's not. But whenever I give you a command, you obey me. And here's what will happen. When you obey me, there won't be any sin in your life. When there's no sin in your life, you'll have a clear conscience. And when you've got a clear conscience, you will be full of joy. As a matter of fact, did you know one of the commands we're to obey is to be full of joy? 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this. Listen to this. Always be joyful. Interest rates are going through the roof. Stock market's going through the toilet. Be joyful. I got a pink slip yesterday. Don't have a job. Be joyful. I'm in the midst of a deep, 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 deep marital difficulty. Be joyful. The only thing that can take away your joy is sin. And one of the biggest things you can commit, sin you commit, is that, it, that will rob you of your joy is when you just say, I'm not going to be joyful. Joy is a barometer of your relationship to God. If you're not full of joy right now as a child of God, I want you to hear me. If you're not full of joy right now, this moment, I mean, where you're sitting in that chair right now, if you're not absolutely full of joy, it is not. Because you've got a marital problem or a financial problem or an emotional problem or a physical problem, you've got a spiritual problem. You've got a God problem. Now, I'm going to prove this to you with one last illustration and we'll close. Do you know how the early church greeted each other whenever they came together for worship or whenever they saw each other on the streets? You know how they greeted each other? They didn't say hello. They didn't say good day. They didn't say how you're doing. They used a one-word greeting. You know what it was? Rejoice. That's how they greet one another, rejoice. The first encounter that Jesus Christ had, I bet you never noticed this, after he was raised from the dead, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 9, remember when he saw those, saw those first women after he got raised from the dead? Literally translated, here's what it says in Matthew 28, 9. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, rejoice. That's the way the early church would greet each other from that point on. They would always say rejoice. Now think about it. Early church ostracized, persecuted, ridiculed, even killed, yet every time they saw each other on the street, every time they came together in their little house to worship, every time they got together for fellowship or food, they'd simply say, rejoice. How could they do that? How could they do that? Because joy does not come from your circumstances. It comes from knowing that God is over your circumstances. If you don't think you have a reason to be joyful today, can I just close by telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what you really have right now? I didn't make this up. I found this somewhere. You have a ticket to heaven that no feet can take, an eternal home that no divorce can break. Every sin of your life has been cast into the sea. Every mistake you've made has been nailed to the tree. You're blood-bought and heaven-made. A child of God forever saved. So be grateful, joyful, for isn't it true? What you don't have is much less than what you do. So true. Now, in your order of worship, I want you to pull this out. We're going to wrap up. I want you to pull out this joy card right here. 
See this joy card? I told you that I believe joy is contagious. And I think it is. And not only do I believe joy is contagious, I believe if you have joy in your life, you owe it to someone else to bring joy into theirs. God doesn't give you joy to hoard. God gives you joy to share. So these are just some ways. And what I want you to do is this. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to treat you like kids. But here's what I want you to do. As much as you can, I want you to try to accomplish all six of those this week. And I want you to take this home with you. I want you to keep it somewhere where you can see it. And I want you to check off one every day. Every day. I'm not going to read these through. You can read them yourself. But, but if, if you could do that, you, listen, and let me tell you why this is so important. Can I tell you what brings me more joy than anything else in my life? And I, God knows my heart. I mean this. What brings me more joy in my life than anything else is when I get the chance to bring joy into somebody else's. There's nothing like it. When I know I lifted somebody up, when I know I encouraged somebody, when I know I raised the temperature of their joy just one degree, that's what really pumps my joy up completely. And the gospel, the Bible says, the angel said, is good news of great what? Joy. Because there's no joy like knowing that you're right with God. Let's pray together. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't have joy. You won't have joy. It's impossible to have joy.